Welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 66 for Monday, November 18th. Holy crap, it's the middle of November already. The year is 2019. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, but you may know him better as Pixel Riffs of Minecraft Earth, Solar System, Orion Spiral Arm, Milky Way Galaxy, <laughs> Virgo Supercluster, the Universe. Hello, sir. I'm having flashbacks to the way I used to address things to myself when we wrote letters at school. <laughs> that was, for whatever reason, that seems to be a thing that everybody did as a kid was just like elongate your address because I found out about space and it's so exciting to me. <laughs> yes, here we are executing podcast 66. And that's a joke I stole from the Hermitcraft recap episode with the same number. But I think it was uh, kind of fitting considering that, by the way, I, I wanted to, we didn't mention this in the, uh, in the pre-show, but we did have a good talk about your new PC in the pre-show. So Patreon can listen to that you can get access to the extended version by going to patreon.com slash the spawn chunks um but i wanted to um kind of give a quick shout out to your other podcast uh, podcast the citadel cafe because i really oh, enjoyed thanks. you uh chatting to lou about the mandalorian the other day i know you, your, your conversation was quite spoiler free but as somebody who lives in europe and doesn't have access to disney plus yet kind of interested in people's opinions about the mandalorian and with uh, star wars stuff sort of floating around in my mind as the year draws to a close and we get closer to that next movie i'm i'm kind of excited none of this is about minecraft by the way so sorry but um maybe maybe go watch logical geek boys let's play and you'll see a lot of star wars and minecraft crossover but um <laughs> but yeah sizzle cafe episode about the mandalorian spoiler free uh very good discussion enjoyed it a great deal thanks very much i think that was 338 just from last week if i remember correctly so yeah um let us know what you think about that show folks because um, there's not a lot of people have access to disney plus so i'm always interested to hear Yes, absolutely. So uh, when, when you've not been watching The Mandalorian, uh, what have you been doing in Minecraft this week? Well, here's the fun thing about The Mandalorian. It only comes out once a week. They're not releasing the whole series you know, in one chunk. It's, it's a weekly rollout. Mm. So everybody is basically champing at the bit between Fridays, wondering what the crap they're going to do. Uh, yes. So I played quite a lot of Minecraft this weekend because there was no Star Wars that I could watch. Fair uh, enough. Yes. Uh, and uh, I was in the nether again. Surprise, surprise. But it's almost finished i say that the, the nether is not almost finished it's never done but uh the rooms that kind of encircle my nether hub all of which go in a different direction and instead of having signs up the design of the room indicates whether you're going to a sandstone desert a green and lush swamp etc etc so i'm finishing up the last final rooms we did some really cool prismarine work uh over the weekend uh accidentally designed a cthulhu room so there's that uh, yeah. <laughs> that sounds yeah. immense i need to go yeah. back and find that i stumbled upon it it was really quite funny like and the chat room as soon as i did it i went oh that kind of looks like a squid and then the chat room just went cthulhu and i was like yes okay the room shall be named the cthulhu room from now on there's no escaping that um but poignantly i was working yesterday with concrete and glazed terracotta uh, two things I don't do a lot of. In the nether, the main nether hub is mostly like stonework and creepy evil. You fire and lava and stuff. So mm -hmm. all the other rooms tend to be using stone to kind of mesh a little bit better. There's a little bit of glass, a little bit of quartz, but most of it is is stone. And so I did this room where it's mostly glass and concrete. Boy, do you run into a bottleneck when you're trying to make things look different, but want to use different blocks like concrete and terracotta because you're stuck you there's no real alternative forms uh like you have with stones that have endless versions now of stairs and slabs except for the cracked ones mm -hmm. and and all that kind of stuff so i really kind of felt the hurt 
trying to make something look like it matched the rest of the builds in the area, but also use new blocks. And so it was still fun. Uh, it was something I discovered quite by accident. Uh, not all concrete works this way, but the purple glazed terracotta and the purple concrete are the exact same color in the right, background. Yeah. So yeah. you can put them next to each other. And instead of the glazed terracotta having a hard edge, it will just bleed seamlessly into a connected texture with the purple concrete. Boy, does it look cool because then you can use it as a one block border and it doesn't look like a repetitive or it looks like a repetitive pattern, but it looks more like a trim than it yeah. does something that's part of something else. And so yeah. I quite enjoyed it. We, we've stumbled upon some stuff. We designed things live on stream. So it took like three hours because there was a lot of like, well, what does this look like? And you tear it down and you put it back up again. And so it was, it was fun. But that's essentially what my weekend was, was just mulling around in the dark of the nether <laughs> again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah designing eldritch horrors as you go yeah yeah well, did you work with much concrete i know i mean i'm behind on your survival guide but like when it comes to concrete and stuff do you run into the same frustrations or or because of your current aesthetic in the survival guide are you you have enough stairs and slabs and stuff with wood and stone that you're fine yeah i'm mostly working on kind of uh medieval fantasy kind of builds so i don't use concrete all that much the stuff i use it for tends to be occasional um it's accent blocks in various places and uh yeah for the most part it's just like it's modern builds if i want to use concrete so typically it has a lot of clean lines and stuff that suits the block shape very well anyway and all of the other stuff that i can work in around it is materials like wood that has stairs and slabs anyway so yeah it hasn't come up all that much um speaking of concrete though i cannot wait for them to bring concrete to minecraft earth or any kind of like solid colored block that we can get in decent quantities because i've been starting to design these minecraft micro builds is what i'm calling them i've started designing uh builds that are going to be tutorial builds going up on my channel about uh, like the, the the size of something that you could put on a Minecraft Earth build plate. So an 8x8 eight eight, uh, or potentially a 16x16, 16 16, but I have a bunch of those one chunk builds already and I feel like 8x8 eight eight is probably going to be the most common one because that's the one that you get by default, right? You know, you, right. you, you have to buy the 16x16 16 16 plates and I now have enough rubies that I can buy one of the most expensive uh, plates from the store. They're like 375 rubies, which as a dollar amount works out to about 10 bucks. <laughs> but I've earned all of these rubies through like playing the game, um, which which is, has been probably like two weeks worth of play now. And I can get mm -hmm. a couple of the uh the 16 by 16 plates if i'm not picky about which ones but all of the best ones the ones that have like unique resources or unique mobs attached to them are all more pricey but anyway uh i'm sticking to 8 by 8 size and i'm finding the material restrictions of minecraft earth are bringing to bear on my designs a little bit because i designed a few different things i put out one tutorial already that's like a rustic house and i went with height kind of as the feature of it because in an 8x8 space, you can't move sideways a great deal, but you can build up almost infinitely, it seems like, in Minecraft Earth. People have, you know, started a build plate and then gone up the stairs and carried on building to see how high they could get, and they, I think it goes higher than 256, unless somebody was really? counting wrong. Yeah, it's really weird. It just seems to generate more space as you need it with no visible build limit, unless, like I said, somebody's maths was a little bit off. But, um... Yeah, it's it's an interesting environment. And I'm not building that high at all because that would be ridiculous probably for most people. But um, I've decided that the best way to cope with the lack of 
horizontal spaces to go vertical. So I have a rustic house that's got a large tower on one corner of it. Uh, that's only a 3x3 three three tower, so you couldn't really fit much, but typically in Minecraft Earth, you're not going to be building interiors all that much anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and now I'm working on designs for castles and windmills, and I built a treehouse that I was really happy with, and I did all of these on stream. I tried to do a pirate ship, kind of like my one-chunk pirate ship, at a diagonal so that you had a little bit more space to work with, but it didn't quite turn out the way I wanted it to, despite mm. the fact that we put a llama on the ship as the captain at the uh, <laughs> at the behest of my stream chat. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's starting to get a little bit obvious to me how limited the materials are in Minecraft Earth, where you're only working with three types of wood, because uh, all we have right now is oak, birch and spruce there is no acacia there is no dark oak there is no a uh, jungle wood you can get but once again you can only get it from build plates and you can't regrow the jungle wood at that point so there is no there are no saplings in minecraft earth yet there's no bone meal to grow them either so it's um yeah w without tappables it is impossible to get three of the wood types that we're used to from regular minecraft so yeah, once again, I'm I'm hamstrung a little bit by that and trying to work around that. I'm trying to figure out how I can do a modern build without using terracotta or, or concrete. And it's 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 tricky. <laughs> it is tricky, but yeah. I'm really happy with the designs I've gotten so far. One thing I plan to do is to go back to the Lego website where you found the inspiration for your in on a bridge build. And oh, see uh, if I can... Lego Ideas, yeah. Yes, and see if see if Lego Ideas has anything that I could potentially get inspiration from to adapt into a build that would fit an 8x8 thing. Because I was looking at them as I was designing them and going, these just feel like Lego sets. It's you like should... having a, a toy Minecraft world that you're working with. You should you should look up micro builds in in uh, in Lego. So that's yeah. a whole other subgenre where it's not minifig scale like it's actually meant to be even smaller right okay um, there's even a couple of play sets that utilize that scale because for example buckingham palace that would be a ginormous lego yes set. it would um the architecture series from lego things like frank lloyd wright uh, uh the i think big ben is one of them uh right yeah and then the Sydney Opera House. So they do a couple of things like that where they have like specific connections and smaller Lego pieces. And so something like a one by two plate in Lego, which is a very thin piece with a smooth top, that would end up being what looks like like six Minecraft blocks, you know, right, in, yeah. in slabs formed. So that's the kind of scale. It's a, it's a really micro scale. And it's really interesting because... Uh, people obviously build like really cool cities that can be quite large, uh, but very intricate things that a Lego piece that would meant to be a grill on the front of a truck ends up being a single window in a high rise because of the scale difference. And, right. the, and, the, yeah. and the piece is just repurposed for that kind of scale. Uh, so that would be really, really cool. So yeah, I'm looking forward to those. That, that's a really neat idea. So uh, when you said, when I read micro builds in the notes, I had something else in mind in Minecraft because when I hear micro builds in Minecraft, I don't think Minecraft Earth or small build plates. I think the, the stuff where people try to make mini versions of landscapes in Minecraft, you know, like where they take like stairs and slabs and they try to make it look like mountains. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, as as though as though you've got like a kind of bonsai version of something like a yes. tiny tree, and like yeah, yeah. Pe people making trees using fence posts and stuff like that as well. Stuff like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, like, is that what you're going for, or are you going for like still Minecraft scale, but 
um, Minecraft Earth build plate limitations. That's what I'm aiming for. The latter, really, is mm-hmm. is trying to build something that still looks like a Minecraft house. And the idea is, I think the way a lot of people are going to try and build in Minecraft Earth, either for lim- the resource limitations because they haven't, you know, gathered enough t- tappables and stuff yet, or mm-hmm. because they are used to Minecraft being this kind of environment, is they're going to build a house in one corner of the build plate and they're going to leave a lot of the rest of the build plate as landscape, as though, like, you can walk up to this house. Whereas I'm trying to use every part of the build plate in creative ways where possible so the structures do reach the edges and i've got um a castle that's kind of i'm trying to build with like a five by five footprint or a three by three footprint and doing that kind of modular sort of thing where you just attach squares to each other to make a more dynamic shape Mm -hmm. Uh, and and i think that's really paying off because what you end up with is a much more dynamic layout to something which could otherwise you could just fill out the 8x8 build plate and build an 8x8 block of a house but then you'd have nowhere to build overhangs or you know anything that would really give the the exterior of the build some character so the design process of these is kind of it's a little bit of trial and error but it's coming more naturally to me now that i've realized that what you really want to be doing is yeah overlapping shapes and building stuff that's like on corners and diagonals and things the the entrance to the 8x8 castle build that i made actually has the gate coming in on a diagonal which sounds like inefficient use of the space but it makes perfect sense when you look at it i'll have to send you over a screenshot after we're uh, we're done podcasting because yeah I, i'm really happy with how that one turned out that's probably going to be the next tutorial which will hopefully go up next weekend um aside from that i haven't been doing absolutely everything in minecraft earth i have been back in the survival guide although the micro builds thing was kind of a good excuse to talk about structure blocks um so that was today's episode and i think i'm probably going to do some stuff with note blocks this week i feel like having a musical interlude to the survival guide and and exploring some of the the possibilities of especially the newer note block sounds so i'm going to get into that this week but uh yeah a lot to unpack there i think very very cool uh i i'm very curious to hear your thoughts i know this is a little off topic but the music in the mandalorian is quite unique and i think that you will really enjoy it and i'm curious as someone that appreciates that kind of stuff it sounds like something that could also be translated into minecraft note blocks quite easily (laughs) i expect somebody has done that already some some fan out there will probably have have posted it on the minecraft subreddit by the time so if you're looking for a a tune to maybe use as a subject (laughs) that could be kind of fun uh i'm curious with the uh, I was going to ask you something about the survival guide. Um, the, the, the number of episodes that you have, like, do you now have like a, like a little index, like a library of like, I did this in this episode. Like I have not covered structure blocks and you know that because all of your notes say like, Hey, that's nowhere in these first 200 episodes. I've still got a long list of stuff that I want to cover. Like I've, I've had a notepad document for a while that I'm just slowly deleting stuff from when I've covered certain things. And I, I have quite a good memory for what I've already done. And ah, if I okay. have to go back and search for it in the, the long list of, of videos, then I can probably approximate where it is and then, you know, let the YouTube dashboard fill me in on exactly which episode something happened. Like, I can't right. remember episode numbers for everything if I'm re- writing a reply to somebody, but I'll take the time to look up, like, oh, it was episode 59 that we raided the Woodland Mansion or something like that, just right. so so people have some some idea of the context. But yeah, it is definitely becoming apparent that there is potentially more that i have done than i have not yet done (laughs) you know i feel like we are potentially past the halfway point of survival guide but then 
I feel like in future the ep- the episodes are just going to keep coming from new features they add to the game and fun stuff I can do with that and then build projects and then I still haven't even started the the museum which is almost going to be like revision at that point it's going to be like okay what have we learned from the last little while what can we put on display in this museum project that's going to represent all of the stuff that we've learned so far in the survival guide series as a whole cool I, I asked because someone asked me what was my favorite episode of the spawn chunks over the weekend i was just like 67 65 hours of content i have yeah, no yeah. idea like i don't remember what we talked about two weeks ago let alone yeah. last year yeah, but... yeah I'm, I'm i'm the same at this point the yeah. podcasts tend to get a little bit more rambly as well so yes if, yeah, if it's not, le- as, if it's, not as poignant we, we try and stay focused when we can but a lot of the time the conversation just meanders naturally and it's nice whereas with the tutorial stuff i'm like okay i definitely covered this subject at this point Hmm. so it's a little bit easier to to catalog uh let's move on to the news though because we've got a little bit of news this week it's not been quite as dry as previous weeks have been and we have a new snapshot for java edition this is 19w46a and the changes to that are numerous and some of them are to do with bees um for a start experience orbs now appear in the same location as loot when an entity is killed so you're going to get the xp from shooting that ghast right where the ghast tier drops which is useful because i've been trying to farm ghast tiers and i can't find them for the life of me after i kill a ghast i always find the xp and then not the ghast tier or the gunpowder so good change i like that one uh bees now only exit through the front of the nest slash hive all foods are now edible in creative mode uh, there are a few performance improvements. There are added advancements for bees and for honey, which are as follows. A sticky situation for jumping into a honey block to break your fall. Bee our guest for safely collecting honey from a beehive using a campfire. And total bee location for moving a bee nest with three bees inside using silk touch. There are also a bunch of bug fixes. We'll have a link to the uh, Minecraft.net article with the changelog if you guys want to take a look through those. They are mostly kind of animation or rendering bugs since they've implemented this new rendering engine and they are working out the kinks. Uh, We have a couple of other Twitter pieces of news. Uh, Minecraft Earth in Early Access, of course, hit the United States last Tuesday, the day after the podcast. And uh, Minecraft Earth also has a pop-up event happening in New York sydney and london in which the jolly llama has been introduced as exclusive to those locations for the next few weekends i think it happened last weekend and then it's going to be this weekend and next weekend you can go and find this jolly llama which is a llama kind of decorated to look like a reindeer (laughs) that was the uh the reindeer that we presumed uh was in their twitter post last week and I think there's like a QR code you can scan and then the Jolly Llama pops up either on your phone or it's it's in an adventure or something like that. Um, that is going to be available to everybody globally from, I think, December 2nd, they said. Like whatever the, the weekend is that leads us into December, after that, uh, the Jolly Llama is going to be available to everybody. So don't worry if you're not in London, New York or Sydney, you will still get it. You'll just get it a couple of weeks later. It's exclusive to those locations until then. I think it's a neat idea to just kind of like encourage different locations to be out and exploring Minecraft Earth, I but have, not I... restrict it. Like not, but not say, oh, well, it's only going to be in those places. It's the the Jolly Llama will eventually be available for everybody, but for now, we're just launching it in these few places. I have never been so tempted to take an impromptu trip to London, Joel, and I <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe it's just because I've been thinking about Minecraft Earth so much, but I kind of went like, can I spare the time? And then I went, no, make a tutorial instead. So I did that. But I am actually going to be in London for a friend's housewarming party later this month. 
Uh, so I might try and swing by the South Bank and get myself a llama, but that's that's definitely going to be like if it's on the way to something else. I'm not going to go out of my way for it necessarily. And people who are in London do seem to be enjoying it. I've seen a few Instagram pictures, been following the Minecraft Earth hashtag on Twitter and seen a few of those popping up. But uh, yeah, the Jolly Llama is going to be worldwide for everybody else. So anyone who had their gripes about that, don't worry. It's just a temporary thing that it's exclusive to uh, to those places. Yeah. So I haven't been playing Minecraft Earth again in the last week or so, but I want to be clear that it's got nothing to do with any kind of poor performance on my phone. It's November in Canada. <laughs> yes, it is. It's starting to snow. I imagine <laughs> it's getting much, much colder there. I've wanted to play. I was walking back from the market on a Saturday and I thought, ooh, I've often seen adventures down along the waterfront. I know I'll plan to bring my phone and my battery pack. And on the way home from the market, I'll play Minecraft Earth. It was all I could do to get home from the market without frostbite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I commend your enthusiasm, though, Joel. It's yeah. nice to see that you're at least getting the urge to try these things out. Well, see, the, the thing here is is that it's just it's just cold enough where you'd have to wear gloves. It's not freezing. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be much colder come January, February in Canada. But uh, it just it kind of dawned on me that October, November is a really odd time of year to launch an outside mobile app yeah, in the northern yeah. hemisphere. So have fun, Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <that laughs> en Enjoy a... your Christmas and summertime vacation with Minecraft Earth because the rest of us are going to have a hard time playing, I think. That's the thing. I'm kind of wondering, like, I presume that the full release of this app is not all that far away, but Pokemon Go released in the summer holidays. And yes. I imagine that got a lot more people playing because for the Northern Hemisphere, as you said, it was nice out. So I kind of feel like, yeah, it's it's slightly mistimed. But then again, they might think, oh, people are going to be getting new devices around Christmas and maybe they'll be able yeah. to go out with them after that. You know, that I'm not sure quite how the, the sort of business brain side of these things work or if they're just mm -hmm. excited to have the app in a usable state for people. But September um, is often back to school is often new phone, new iPad month, yeah. new, new tablet, new computer month like all, a lot of that kind of stuff comes out if not in time for black friday which is in a couple of weeks uh no a week uh it's it's um it's usually in time for for the fall semester that sort of thing um i want to give a shout out to whitebush from our discord that has mentioned something uh that i have been meaning to bring up on the podcast for as long as we've been talking about minecraft earth the first thing i notice when i open up the app is as whitebush suggested ambient sounds yes there's, there's, bir there's bird chirping. song Yes, bird song, bird song, and I really want that in forests and plains in Minecraft. Like, boy, does it add a lot. Yes, it really does. And yeah, like amb ambient sound is something we've even dedicated like a decent portion of the show to in the past. Yes, we've had yeah. it come up on like roundtable discussions for ages, and <laughs> that yeah, was kind I, of his, that was kind of White Bush's point. They were just kind of like, "How have they not mentioned this on the show?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it, it it kind of slipped our mind with all of the other stuff to to, yeah. to unpack about Minecraft Earth. But that that is true. Yeah, and. It's kind of funny because it, the birds do sound like the birds that we get around here. So sometimes I have to unplug my headphones for a second and go, "Is that them or is that the, is that the phone?" <laughs> I can't I can't quite tell as I'm walking to and from the shop. But then yeah. if I if I'm if I'm walking at like you know five o'clock at night when it's already dark, um, then then it's probably less likely to be the the real life birds and more likely to yeah. be yeah. Uh, do we the do you hear birds. them at night? I never thought about checking at night and nah. and. If, forgive me if I'm remembering incorrectly. Is there also wind? I feel like there's a wind noise in Minecraft Earth. I could be wrong. I feel like I there's don't... a gentle breeze. I I could be misremembering that, but there there might be. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, not 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 sure about that. They could potentially add weather and stuff in future. It's definitely something that other apps have done, and 
it'd be interesting to see if that changes the the dynamic of things because while the weather system in minecraft is not vastly sophisticated there are weather cycles there is rain there are storms um i wonder if it's possible to get a charged creeper in minecraft earth or will be mm. uh, after a while and whether that's going to be you know local to the weather that you're having presently or not you know if it's raining oh. where you are is it going to be raining you know in in the app or or what's going to tie it to that are you ready for that kind of weather in Minecraft or in <laughs> the UK? Gonna, it'd be raining here more often than not. It'd be like in, <laughs> it'd be like being on a multiplayer server in real Minecraft and nobody sleeps when it's just raining all the time. <laughs> all the time, yeah. Basically, yeah. That, that's that's the problem we've probably had in the UK is nobody's been sleeping to get rid of the rain. That's that's the problem we've had. <laughs> all right. Um, I think we should move on to chunk mail though because this is a chunk mail dispenser episode. Uh, this is one of the episodes we like to do every month in which we can uh, receive a lot of email from our inbox and and answer it all in the uh, the main discussion. If you want to email the show, of course, you can do so at thespawnchunks at gmail.com. And we had a couple of uh, show to uh, we have a couple of email topics rather that were related to some of the stuff we talked about on the show previously that we wanted to address first. In particular, we had a couple of people write in to explain their uh, th their their kind of experience of playing in the 1.15 snapshots uh, in Java edition because of the concerns we've had about performance with 1.14 over the last little while and 1.15 having a lot of performance fixes and bug fixes and hopefully uh, this is going to be a little bit better. So this one comes from Ashley M. Thank you, Ashley, for your email, uh, which says, Hi, Joel and Picks. I was listening to your most recent episode of The Spawn Chunks and you'd ask for input from anyone who'd been playing on a snapshot server. I have been playing for a few weeks on a server running the snapshots with a few friends. There are six of us. While I haven't noticed any glaring differences with all the new fixes coming out, I have found the server runs suspiciously smoothly when multiple people are logged in. When you compare this to the 114.4 server I also play on when multiple people are all on, the server struggles to keep up. All the small bug fixes and the cleaning up being done in the snapshots may not alter gameplay in any major way, however, together they make the game more enjoyable overall. Even if it's not immediately noticeable, all of the polishing up is definitely making a positive difference. Thanks for the great content you guys make. Love the show. Ashley. I'll go right into the next email because this is from Ari and Jay along the same lines. Uh, it says, hey, Johnny and Joel, my name is Norvix. I've been listening to the podcast for a couple of months now, and I found that your podcast is the perfect thing to listening to while mining or doing grindy stuff in Minecraft. Thank you very much. Uh, in episode 65, you mentioned you'd like to hear from a survival SMP player who plays in the snapshots and how they feel it works for themselves. I feel like the 115 snapshots are a lot more usable than the 114 snapshots, to say nothing about 113. In my world, I feel like everything runs well and smoothly. Everything seems like it's running in good quality. I've played on the world since the start of 1.15 snapshots, and I feel like everything is going to look good for 115 when it's released. Norvix. So thank you both for those emails, and I've only heard good things about the performance so far. It's definitely one of those things that I think I'll believe it when I see it, because right now, uh, with my patron server especially, we're having a lot of lag issues. Like, if there's more than two or three people on in different areas of the server at a time, it does get a little bit laggy. But hearing that there's a server out there with, like, six people, presumably there will be times when you're all playing at once or close enough, and that it's it's actually running kind of smoothly, then that's that's good. And good that you've got another server on 114 to compare it to. Yeah, I've definitely noticed the poor performance on the Citadel running 114.4 when multiple people are logged on. And I'm talking three. That, yeah. that is at the point when we start to see some real issues. Now, it's mostly player tracking 
and chunk loading. So when I come into the nether, if there's no one in the overworld or no one in those chunks, it takes a long time. Like I can well outfly the the chunk rendering now. Uh, and it feels weird. It's a little bit, it, it breaks the immersion. Like you come out of the nether portal and the only thing rendered are the first two chunks in front of you and then everything else is just blue. Um, yeah. So that's a little bit weird. Um, but the other thing about player tracking is weird. You notice it when you're eating. Uh, you notice it when you go around a corner and you literally are put back 20 blocks by the server. And it's like this weird deja vu blip. And you're like, whoa, wow, I just did this. <laughs> Why am I walking through this door again? And so uh, I've only noticed that, though, when we have um, more than one person, usually three people loaded on the Citadel. Three is not a lot for a multiplayer server. And I haven't mentioned this much on the show before because the Citadel is a really low-key server. And for the last little while, especially with 114.4, I was really the only one on most of the time that I was playing, which yeah. means that I was essentially getting a single-player server experience. Um, but now that we've got a couple new members and, uh, some of the members that were playing or were not playing are now back, we're starting to see some of the lag kind of crop up. So I'm starting to see that 14, four server complaint that many people are, are logging over the last little while. Um, I feel like if the feedback remains consistent with the release of the holiday bees and bugs updates, uh, then I'm really looking forward to it. It sounds like things are being smoothed out. We uh, had more than one email uh, from people playing in snapshots. Uh, and thank you very much for everybody that, that wrote in. Um, for those that don't know, we read everything. We may not have time to fit it all into the show, but we do actually take a time to read everything. And essentially the message was the same. You know, 115, while they're working through the kinks, it does seem to be quick. Like the, the server performance seems to be good. Sometimes things are rendering weird, but it, it's not laggy, which is, which is good feedback to know. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I think that's it for the 115 stuff we wanted to read, uh, but we have a variety of other emails. Um, how about you read this one from Aaron? Sure, this is Aaron or AK33. Hello, Joel and Pix. Hope you are both doing well. In the past, Joel has talked about his custom texture pack. I was wondering what program do you use to edit textures and where do you get the base texture or do you completely start from scratch? Also, Pixel Riffs, will you ever consider doing a survival guide on how to make a custom texture pack? Thanks for the amazing podcast, Aaron slash AK33. Uh, I can dig into this real quick. Uh, it's a pretty simple answer. I use Photoshop, which is from the Adobe Creative Crowd Cloud subscription that I have to edit textures. Granted, I have access to the Adobe Creative Cloud because I subscribe for my professional artwork. So I have access to the whole suite. Uh, you don't need that. That's just my preferred platform. If you want to check out a YouTube channel uh, for pixel art, check out Mort Mort, M-O-R-T. M-O-R-T. He has tutorial videos on pixel art, sometimes textures. Often he'll do stuff about curves or sprite building and stuff like that. But it's all information that you could use to help you create better textures. Uh, one of my favorite videos that he did was about um, a game tile. So something like Stardew Valley or these other 8-bit games or 16-bit games would have game tiles. And so he goes in detail about how to create one and how to build a level really really cool stuff i think you'd enjoy it uh, in his videos he does also point out a couple of other um, software pieces that people can use to create pixel art uh, a sprite aesprite.org uh, is one of the things that he suggests as well as pixlr uh, i don't think he suggested pixlr i just looked it up before the show pixlr is a free online piece of software that allows you to edit pixel art Aceprite is something that you have to buy, but it's only $15 US. And so that is a pretty easy purchase for software 
that does what it says it's going to do. Um, and in my experience, uh, and this is just my opinion, it's always better to have a little bit of money down on an app rather than the free version. Um, free stuff, especially online stuff, like what happens if your file doesn't save? Uh, what happens with all the stuff that you're doing? I feel like a little bit more control and having an app that you pay a little bit for uh, is probably gonna go a long way. I've also watched Mort Mort use a sprite, and it seems like a pretty straightforward thing to use, so I think you fun, might. Fun fact, uh, that's actually what I used to create both the current Pixel Rifts logo, uh, with this just kind of boxy text with a blue stripe across it, and uh, the channel header banner thing that I have on my, my main YouTube channel, not on Twitter or anywhere else as far as I recall, but yeah, I, I've used that program myself, and as somebody who has relatively low artistic inclinations, uh, it's very easy to use, um, and it's it's super fun. The one gripe I have with it is that the interface is also designed like it's, you know, a, an old-school yeah. program, yeah. and I, I kind of want it to use more modern menu structure and stuff because it does feel a little bit limited, and it uses, like, pixel text and stuff for all of the interface, but aside from that, the program is pretty easy to use. The layering stuff is good. It's also got like animation stuff built into it. So if that's something you're interested in getting into for like sprite design for other games and stuff as well, that's, yeah, that's that's super interesting to do. And I, I used it to make a few kind of intro things for my channel, just like little intro clips. But I stopped using those after a while just because I switched to a kind of different style of of introducing the videos where I just launched straight into it without like a logo beforehand. But yeah, right. um, I, I recommend the program. It's it's a good one. And of course, yeah, there's plenty of free like raster graphics software out there. Uh, GIMP is one I've used as an alternative to Photoshop in the past. Um, and as far as doing a survival guide episode on how to make a custom texture pack, as I said, art isn't really my strong suit. So while I'm interested in getting the information out there and maybe like demystifying the process of how to open up textures and like make edits to them, I'm not sure if I'm going to dedicate a full episode to that, and if I do, it probably won't go much further than providing the basic info. I'm not really interested in making my own texture pack or modifying the vanilla textures a great deal because I like, as I've said before, I think I like the fact that whenever I build anything, it's going to look exactly the same as the way somebody else would build it if they were using a default texture pack, and, you know, I, I prefer to do things that way so that people can follow along a little easier. But yeah, I, I, would, I would like to do an episode about the technical side of that, if not the artistic side of it. I've mentioned Uncle Jam on the show before, and his YouTube channel, uh, which we'll link in the show notes, has a tutorial series on how to create a resource pack side of the custom texture. So less about the art of the textures and more about just how to just grab something and, and stick it into Minecraft. Yeah. Uh, the, the tutorials are a couple years old, so you'd have to take a look at the file directory and the file names for the textures because they were they changed when they rolled over into 1.13. Yes. Uh, but the principle is still the same. Uh, you just have to combine combine the current structure of the game uh, with the version of, of Minecraft that you're playing. So the, combine the current structure uh, of the version of Minecraft you're playing with the tutorial information from Uncle Jam. Uh, there's also a tutorial uh, article we'll link for the Minecraft wiki uh, here in the show notes, which covers the kind of stuff that is out of date on the Uncle Jam videos. The uh, re restructuring of stuff on the back end, the flattening, as it was called in 1.13, is another reason I wanted to cover the structure blocks in today's episode of Survival Guide, actually, because I'd made a tutorial about that a while ago, but they have since changed the directory where those structure block files are stored. So a lot of people were leaving comments on my old structure block videos saying, this doesn't work anymore, like I can't get it to work that way. So 
yeah, it's it's tripped a few people up, but good to know that there are uh, resources out there that will probably be updated, especially in the case of the Minecraft wiki, for uh, finding where that stuff is stored. Moving on to the next email, we have one here from Crystal Alpaca. Uh, this one's about Minecraft Earth. It says, Hi, Johnny and Joel. I was listening to episode 63 and had some thoughts about Minecraft Earth. I'm a disabled person who has mobility issues and various chronic health issues. To make an example of Pokemon Go, I find it a huge pain, sometimes literally, to get to events such as raids without planning ahead. Hatching eggs is also an issue, and often takes more than a week even though I play most days, because that's something that tracks how far, how far you've travelled. Uh, my concern with Minecraft Earth is that it's going to turn into the same situation for those who are disabled, that aren't hugely independent, or find it difficult to leave the house for various reasons. If there were an item trading portion to the game that would maybe help with collectibles, that still doesn't get disabled players to events without relying on other people to help you get there. I've seen good times with Scar's video, and it seems like you can collect some resources from the car, but again, especially for children, it relies on someone else to get you around. Hope I got my point across okay, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Keep up the great podcast. Thanks, Crystal Alpaca. Thank you for sharing your experience, Crystal Alpaca. Um, I've been able to get an adequate amount of tappable resources from home, and granted that I am in a suburban area which seems to have a decent amount of activity, but you're right in that some of the deeper aspects of the app and some of the stuff that I said previously is really the point of the app, stuff like adventures, aren't really all that accessible to people with mobility issues, which is a real shame. Uh, there are no adventures near my house. They don't tend to spawn near like large clusters of houses. They tend to be more in places like public parks and stuff that's accessible to pedestrians uh, rather than having you walk around people's neighborhoods or something just so you can play Minecraft adventures. Um, but you can't really get to those places if you have mobility issues and you can't navigate an adventure without moving around once you're there. Um, so yeah, for, for people who do have a little bit of trouble and want to just like post up in one spot and play an adventure, you can't then move around all that much to be able to get an angle on what you're looking at in AR. And I wonder if maybe like a teleport movement feature for adventures would be possible. Kind of similar to if you've seen VR games played where they have a movement style that basically has you teleport from one standing location to another standing location in order to prevent motion sickness because your brain doesn't realize that your body isn't moving when you're like trying to move forward using a, a gamepad or something like that and that can make people kind of dizzy and get motion sickness so they implement this teleporting thing and I kind of wonder if it would be possible to like give disabled players the option to like ender pearl around an adventure maybe without the damage penalty that's incurred from uh from ender pearls in regular minecraft because that wouldn't be a great message um but i kind of wonder yeah if if it would be possible to explore adventures that way without having to you know stand up and walk around if that's uncomfortable for you or not possible or um yeah uh, or without having to yeah just stroll around the area where the adventure takes place but still be able to interact with that stuff and i'm sure with the game still being in early access there is plenty of time to give feedback on stuff like this so i would encourage you to do that if you're comfortable sharing your experiences with apps like this then get in touch with mojang the minecraft.net feedback page uh, has a bunch of suggestions on it already i think some of them are related to accessibility features and stuff like that so now if at all is probably the time to uh to, to get your suggestions in and if i recall from your video about adventures um you really have to get right up on top of them and if they're not right next to a path depending on 
your mobility issues, whether it's maybe you're, maybe you've got a sprained ankle and you're on crutches, or maybe you're in a wheelchair um, for most of your time, taking that wheelchair off road may not be the easiest thing, even in a park where the grass is relatively flat. Maybe it's too wet, you know, maybe it's too slippery and dangerous. Like if you can't access the adventure because you're more than 10 feet away, that's going to be pretty frustrating, I think, for some players that have mobility issues. Yeah, and especially with adventures being the gateway to uh, resources like iron and gold mm-hmm. and like so- some of the materials that are required for progression and for completion of some of the, the challenges in the game. Um, there is still actually on that challenges page where you have your daily, weekly, and career uh, quests, um, just little activities to do and stuff. I think there is a fourth tab there that is event challenges, and they don't seem to have rolled that out yet that seems to be something that's going to come later and i don't think it's tied into stuff like the um the jolly llama event that's happening in london and sydney and everywhere i think that's potentially going to be something that comes in later and it's more like um when the legendary pokemon appeared in pokemon go and you can go to specific places to get those and raids happen and stuff like that I'm not sure how event-related challenges are going to work, but hopefully when those do turn up, they're going to keep accessibility in mind because there's going to be a large portion of the app where people won't really be able to go out and experience that if they are disabled. So moving on to the next email, we have one from Mr. Junior 717 Hey, Spawn Chunkers. That's a new one. I haven't heard that before. Uh, in episode 63, around 57 minutes, PixRifts talks about a camera using mirrors to reflect the image the right way up This isn't the case. Since mirrorless cameras exist and basically every camera can be mirrorless, the big difference is the viewfinder. A DSLR uses mirrors to redirect the view to your eye. When you take a picture, the mirror flips and reveals the sensor to the view. Uh, A so-called mirrorless camera uses the sensor's readings in its viewfinder, electric or whatever. Uh, So no mirrors are actually used for taking the picture. The flipping happens after the picture has been taken. Here's a diagram of a typical camera. We'll include this link in Mr. Junior's email. Uh, Hope you find this helpful and thanks for making this epic show. Cheers. Thank you for putting me on blast. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) I I, I thought it'd be funny to make Joel read this one because yeah, this is the the wagging finger of people who know more about cameras than I do. No, thank you. In in all seriousness, thank you for the the correction. I I freely admit to not being a camera expert. Um, Mostly what I was trying to do with this example was explain the camera obscura effect in an accessible way, um, which OMG Chad actually does in his latest episode of OMG Craft that he made about Minecraft with RTX. He's gone to the NVIDIA head quarters in the states and has had a similar experience and sat down and went over a lot more of the technical detail than i did he he's he's spoken to the nvidia developers a little bit more and actually written down word for word what they've said so his uh, if you even if you've seen my video about them uh, his his video about rtx is actually really good um, but he goes into the camera obscura effect a little bit more just the fact that when light goes through a small gap like a pinhole or uh, a one by one block in the case of minecraft it actually reflects and the image that is coming through the hole from one side with the light behind it gets reflected upside down and i thought that that was potentially how um yeah cameras with mirrors were originally figured out but i, I guess that's not actually the case but it's um yeah, just just a, an example that I thought might add a little bit of, I guess, visual idea of how what I was trying to describe works. Because I don't know how many people have heard of Camera Obscura, and I certainly hadn't, 
you know i i didn't i didn't know too much about it until i started looking up what this effect was so um yeah thanks for the correction though i i appreciate it moving on to uh the next email though we have one from cyberfolk uh, with a PH, nice, uh, which is about the October roundtable discussion uh, about a feature light update. It says, Greetings! Regarding the release cycle of having a more content light update prior to a more feature-rich release coming up with the Nether update, if Mojang is committed to trying to do two major releases per year, as they've said, I think this is actually a really good thing. It gives the developers the chance to proactively address issues in a good way. For example, Nether portal caching is being fixed in 1.15, and lo and behold, the Nether update is coming up shortly afterwards. Hopefully this will avoid things like the lag issues from flowing water that came with 1.13, and the myriad grotesque issues that came around with 1.14. I wouldn't be surprised to see some things in the technical release notes of the next update that will lead directly into future updates. Perhaps something like B pathfinding and the fact that they remember flower locations as well as return to a home, which might be a different implementation of a bug with 1.14 villagers and their bed slash workstation arrangement, given that they have a nasty habit of forgetting the workstations. Perhaps the piglins and villagers will make use of the bees' ability to find and remember a home. As well, I suspect it might be in our best interest that we have to wait for the mountain biome update if it's going to use any changes that come with the nether update for terrain generation. Thanks for making such a great show, I only stumbled across it a month ago or so, and I'm now going through the whole back catalogue which is making my work commute so much more bearable. Thank you Cyberfolk for that one. Um, yeah, I hadn't. it hadn't occurred to me that fixing uh existing nether issues would be a good call ahead of the nether update but that's an excellent point i think well a point well made because uh yeah nether portal caching is i believe that kind of momentary lag that you experience when going through into the nether and um i think it's, it's something to do with the way the game like loads in the area around a nether portal whenever you travel through it I really should have looked this up in more detail before we got to this email, but uh, yeah, if, if bugs like that are being fixed and people are expected to visit the Nether more in the Nether update, it's going to make everyone's experience a lot more pleasant. So I was looking through our Discord with the uh, hive mind, pardon the pun, uh, in there, and uh, the lag thing with Nether portals appears to be that they are no longer going to be searching in a 120 block radius every time you go through them. Right. And so yeah. they'll be more, if they're linked, they're going to be sending you directly to the known link. I think that's my interpretation. I, okay. I went through the Discord quite quickly. There was a lot of information there. But um, that to me is good. But also, I just spent the last few weeks removing some nether portals around and fixing them because of the uh, orientation change that happened in 114, where when you enter a portal facing west, you exit in the nether also facing west, which is yeah. good. Um, that's where you want to go. Uh, but at the same time, um, if you're adjusting all your nether portals and then they change it again, uh, that would start to be a little bit frustrating for players. So I'm not quite sure how this is going to affect people that are utilizing a portal connection where that portal connection is not exact. It's working because the portal is searching for a new, uh, a, a working portal within 120 blocks. So I don't know whether you're just going to end up with needing to move things in the nether or what, uh, but it's an interesting idea. I really like the point about bees finding a home base and how that has been written from scratch. And it maybe it could end up being retconned back into villager pathfinding and memory to improve that play experience. Um, I feel like it would be easier to fix a bug with a villager if you've done the same behavior in a new mob, but then it's not buggy because you're not copying pasting that behavior like you're writing it from scratch so things that they may learn again this is speculation from 
designing the B behavior could be implemented as uh, as the, as Cyberfolk mentioned in Piglin, uh, Zombie Piglin, maybe even Piglin Beasts, which are now what are they called? The um, uh, Hoglin. Hog, Hoglin. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's potential there for for different kind of pathfinding. Something that I did not think of, which I'm glad that they brought up as well, is getting the new terrain generation working in the Nether ahead of the mountains update is also a really good point let's face it the nether is a jumbled mess anything <laughs> will be seen as an improvement so it's a good place to test you could be testing your terrain generation for the overworld which when it went terribly wrong in the overworld everyone would say woof this is buggy but in the nether it's just going to look better because <laughs> <laughs> right now it's just there's nothing there's no rhyme or reason to anything really in the nether outside of maybe lava lakes those are the only things that seem to be features um i feel like that would be a really interesting idea of fixing the terrain generation in a world where you have a lot of room for error you have a lot of room to play with but then fine-tuning it so that when you try to implement it in the overworld you've learned some lessons from the nether update it's a really interesting take yeah absolutely um i want to move on to some comments from our youtube uh family because we've we've been posting the podcast to youtube for a little while now and we get some some interesting comments coming through, uh, specifically in this case, uh, a comment from Lorimer Longhall on episode 65, Adventures in Minecraft Earth. It says, thanks for the great episode. Just to clarify a few things, multiple players can play adventures at the same time. I also believe you can start an adventure, leave it if your health is low, then re-enter it in the same state. So that's when adventures will show up as not being pristine and the first time you visited them. Also, build plates have a build mode as well as a play mode. Play mode is a standalone instance where changes made by participants aren't saved, i.e. players can break everything, but once everyone exits, it goes back to the original state. I presume player builds placed out in the world will be this way, so any changes will reset per visit. And this was interesting to me. This, this was something I had trouble articulating, I think, at the time, because we were talking about what happens if I place a build publicly and then everyone else comes along and mines out the blocks. I assume what they would show up as on the map would be icons like the adventures that you join, rather than it being like, you know, a... A little 8x8 build plate that appears on your map it's just going to be an icon of a player placed build you click on that and then when it loads up it's my build that i put into the world and then whatever you do in that isn't going to affect what other players would see if they visited the same thing so if you want to take down this house that i've built uh on the brighton seafront or something then you can run away with all of those materials but when the next player comes along and checks out my build they're going to see the build as it was before you tore everything down what that brings up though is a problem with my scavenger hunt idea because in theory then you could go and farm that uh player place build for diamonds <laughs> but um right. it, it would depend how often those things refreshed though because if you visited it once before, you took the diamond, you run away, maybe it like goes away and then refreshes five minutes later, you get another diamond, that's a problem. But if you go back to a player-placed build and it's always the build that you visited the first time around, so if you've destroyed it, it remains destroyed. That's kind of interesting to me. I like that as an idea. It's cool. I don't know how that... I guess they would have to cache that. Like They'd have to say that, well, this build is this way for this player but now imagine that you come up to a public build and take two blocks and i come up to a public build and the same public build and i take four blocks it has to remember those different states for each of us multiply yes. that by however many people visit and i i see that being an issue i would imagine it's probably more along the lines of i don't think you're going to be able to collect the blocks from a 
plate from a, a public plate. I think you can probably destroy it. I think you can probably interact with it, but I think that you don't get to keep any of it. Uh, that's or, that's that's probably my interpretation. Or alternatively, you place something, but you put it there for a limited amount of time. Um, so the the way they get around that, presumably with adventures, is having the adventures on a timer, and after a certain amount ah. of time, they're going to reset. So if I put a build out in public, it's only going to last for like a day or a couple of days, and then whatever save data people have from that structure, it goes away again. I get the build plate back on my device, I get to build something else with it, and I can put it down somewhere else. Kind of like, um, again, bringing it all back to Pokemon Go, but that is, once again, one of the best examples we have of an app like this. Uh, when you left your Pokemon on a gym defending it, uh, it would basically stay there until another player beat that Pokemon, and then it would be returned to your inventory. Um, oh, okay. So, so when you place a build plate in the world for Minecraft Earth, do you no longer have access to that build plate at home? No, no, that's that's not the case. But then I think if you were placing it publicly, it wouldn't be the case that you could modify it on your device and that would modify the instance of it that was out in the world. This is really difficult to talk about because we're speculating about stuff that hasn't been added to the app yeah, yet. But um, yeah. I get the idea that like if you were able to modify that build plate at home, it wouldn't make any changes to the one you'd put out in the world regardless but yeah I, I feel like maybe if you placed it in one place it would be kind of spammy to just be able to place it all over the place in the same area i imagine there will be a limit to how many of those you can have out in the world at one time yeah it would be really interesting though if you got together with a bunch of friends you all had an eight by eight build plate and you decided to put them all next to one another that's that's another thing that i've seen people suggest is having the ability to snap build plates together and, and whether or not they remain environments that you can only edit yourself if you're like the owner of it, if you're building in, in you know, creative build mode, but then have them be able to fit together on a tabletop if you're playing with multiple people so that then they could be put together to make a landscape. And then you have people collaborating on something that is larger than an 8x8 plate. Yeah, I think like you, the, you build one end of the bridge, you know, my friend John builds the other, and then I build the middle, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that kind of thing would be really cool. I think ultimately it comes down to the limitations of what they would be able to display on your device at one time. Mm. And that, that's where that, that's probably why build plates are restricted to 8x8 or 16x16 for now, is because on you know lower-end devices, I can imagine it putting a lot of strain. If you had like 12 people all working around the same table, it's got to render 12 of these build plates at once. I expect that would be very taxing on some lower end devices. Yeah. So I've not been able to experience this because I haven't tried to place anything out in the world, but do you need an eight by eight meter flat area to put a build plate down? No, no, not at all. Um, so I, it's not it, full of Minecraft scale then? I mean, it, it is, but I think it's, it's all relative to the position of your camera. It's all about perspective, really. Um, uh, okay. I, I don't know. I don't know for certain. Like I haven't measured it or anything, but then... When Seth Bling was making videos where he was like running from one end of a courtyard to the other and triggering pressure plates in his build plate, I think that was all relative to the position of whoever was holding the camera. So it can be kind of tricky to track exactly what the scale is. I think the scale is more or less, you know, what you've got room for, but it, it won't resize it necessarily if you've got less space. But I think it isn't necessarily going to be like one meter scale to one meter in the real world. It depends how far away you're placing it and and that kind of stuff. It, it's tricky to measure that stuff, though, because you're talking about measuring something in real space that only exists virtually on your phone. Hmm. 
it'd be interesting to go out there with a tape measure and, and see if you could see well, if you yeah. could figure that out because i'm thinking like in some of the videos that i've seen on youtube people are walking inside their minecraft build that they've placed out in the world and that works if the if the door is two meters tall but it doesn't if it's a meter <laughs> you know yeah. you, you if, if if it's only you know a, a two foot tall door i'm not going inside <laughs> not without hitting my head right yeah exactly it's it's all about the player's scale and mm. i i think i think depending on like yeah how tall you are how far your phone is away from the ground like I, I i don't know precisely what the ar technology is using to track that stuff but i i placed the rustic house that i built in my backyard um it was taller than my house and i don't know quite how tall my house is but the peak of this rustic house was probably like 17 or 18 blocks so we can presume 17 or 18 meters tall in the vr then in the sort of ar space it's not small like it, it it definitely shows up like it is to scale or close enough i just don't know how accurate that is mm, yeah well i mean and, I, and i've said for a long time that scale in minecraft is wonky like everything at the player level and a roughly two to four blocks above that is is about right but then after that roofs and things have to be like double sized to look right otherwise they look they just don't work because yeah. of the blocks in Minecraft. Like just it's this weird kind of Minecraft scale, quote unquote, has developed developed over years. Yeah, it's something we're still getting used to, and I imagine we'll have to get used to it in Minecraft Earth as well. <laughs> uh, folks, that's going to be all we have time for today. Thank you once again to everyone who emailed in to the show and the folks who left lovely comments on YouTube for us to read. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the things we've talked about at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you get some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join the community. We're pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons only discord chat and gets us closer to our next milestone goals we are currently at 139 patrons which is up from last week once again thank you so much new folks for joining in and of course we've always got room for more special thanks go out to our content engineers cameron sigelski greena canuck jd williamson and yitz for supporting this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. It's free. You can just tell them to go to The Spawn Chunks on Twitter or Instagram. But of course, a personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm or poke a server mate in the arm and say, hey, you like Minecraft. I like Minecraft. They like Minecraft. Go listen to them talk about Minecraft. You might be surprised. The email for the show is thespawnchunks at gmail.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, and Spotify. And of course, leave us a review if you're out there. It always helps reach new listeners. The RSS feed is linked on thespawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs, and you can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called The Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for The Survival Guide, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I am doing online is at joelduggan.com. That includes my illustration and design portfolio, as well as my online store. So if you're looking for some ideas for Christmas gifts, you can check that stuff out there. You can listen to The Citadel Cafe, a podcast where I talk about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment with my friends. That is right now focusing on The Mandalorian. So if you're curious about that, we are being 
doing some spoiler-free chat there. You can follow me on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram. It's all just my name. super easy to find. Come hang out in the nether and brighten my day. <laughs> That's at twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan. And if you're curious about what I'm going to be up to, check out the render distance where I'm going to be talking about my new PC and the new games. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and so is our inbox.